with the latest on the corporate front, all the market trends, expert opinion, and sound business advice. It is your unique window into the business world, direct from the heart of China. Hello and welcome to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Coming up, we will have half an hour of business news and analysis. On today's show, Chinese President Xi Jinping announces steps for high-quality Belt and Road cooperation, and China's telecom and internet companies increase their investments in the cloud computing industry. And now, let's begin with our top story. China hosts the third Belt and Road Forum for International Cooperation this week in Beijing, with the BRI marking its 10 years anniversary. Chinese President Xi Jinping has vowed to work with all parties involved to usher the Belt and Road Cooperation into a new stage of high-quality development. CGTN's Zhao Yunfei reports. It's Beijing's moment as the Chinese capital welcomes world leaders, charting the course for the common good. Chinese President Xi Jinping shared his vision of cooperation between countries under the Belt and Road Framework. We have learned that humankind is a community with a shared future. China can only do well when the world is doing well. When China does well, the world will get even better. Through Belt and Road cooperation, China is opening its door even wider to the world. An additional. 80 billion yuan will be injected into the Silk Road Fund. Together, they will support BRI projects on the basis of market and business operation. The modernization we are pursuing is not for China alone, but for all developing countries through our joint efforts. Global modernization should be pursued to enhance peaceful development. And mutually beneficial cooperation, and bring prosperity to all. The Belt and Road Initiative has not just focused on infrastructure and trade. Cooperation has expanded to new industries such as healthcare, low-carbon energy, the digital economy, and innovation. The meeting hall is flanked by the flags of participating countries. Through the Belt and Road Initiative, China's friend circle has become larger, and the initiative has brought a new path for the world to realize modernization. The Chinese president first announced the initiative during official visits to Kazakhstan and Indonesia in 2013. A decade of endeavor has left tangible outcomes. China has signed over 230 cooperation documents with more than 150 countries and 30 international organizations. The chair's statement from this year's summit captures the consensus among participants and lays out the future direction of cooperation: a list of multilateral cooperation deliverables and a list of practical projects have also been released. The Belt and Road Initiative has brought far-reaching global impact in the past 10 years. This gathering has carried on the foundation, taking the friendship to the next level for the common development and prosperity. And that was Zhao Yunfei reporting from Beijing. So, for more on this, join us on the line now are Yan Liang, Professor of Economics, Villamet University, and also Ina Tangen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. So, this is a significant anniversary for the Belt and Road Initiative. Ten years we've seen, and this week there are something like 140 countries being represented in Beijing. So, Ina, what's your main takeaway from President Xi Jinping? Ping's speech on the、uh, opening ceremony. 
Well, he, he made eight points, and he, what it was is he was expressing his vision for a shared future. Uh, and, you know, the success of this is not uh, what I say or anyone else says. It's the fact that the majority of the world was represented. In fact, uh, that means that three quarters of the entire world in terms of countries is interested and believes in the uh, BRI. And it was also reflected in the leaders who spoke. You had a, a broad commitment to uh, China, Russia, Eritrea, uh, I mean, Southeast Asia, every part of the globe was represented. And it's, you know, 10 years on, people have seen what China has done. The commitment has been there. It's not about words. It's about um, actions, and they've seen it. So, Ian, the total amount of new financing that Xi Jinping has announced for BRI projects is equal to about 100 billion U.S. dollars. So how would you evaluate the momentum that the new financing here is going to inject into the BRI? Right. I think this is really showing that um, what we are seeing is a firmer commitment, um, you know, with uh, really, I think, uh, practical and feasible um, and great, uh, well thought out projects. And also with, as you just mentioned, um, the large amount of capital uh, to support um, all these projects. So it's definitely, you know, this this uh, initiative has been on for, you know, 10 years. And I think from the speech and also from the white paper that was released earlier, uh, we have seen all the great economic benefits that it has uh, generated for all the participating participating countries. Um, well, we have seen numbers that in the past 10 years, you know, China and BRI countries trade reached $19 trillion um, with an annual growth rate of 6.4%. Uh, we also have seen, you know, poverty relief, um, po poverty reduction um, for about 40 uh, million people uh, in, 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 the, in the world. Um, and there are a lot of regional cooperation, regional economic development, thanks to the BRI connectivities and so on and so forth. So I think it just shows that the, the initiative has been a great success. And for the next 10 years, um, I think there have been some changes down the road. For example, um, this time, I think um, during Xi Jinping's uh, um, speech, he mentioned a lot about, you know, high quality, people to people, people centered approach um, in the future. So um, he also talked about in addition to some of these, uh, you know, uh, signature infrastructure projects, China would also pursue um, some what he calls, you know, small but beautiful or small yet smart projects. Um, so like green energy, green technology, um, and again, some of the, um, you know, for example, health projects and so on and so forth. So I think, um, you know, the past 10 years has been great. Um, but we still look forward to the next 10 years and um, see all the, you know, um, uh, viable projects um, and also greater economic benefits around the world. Mm -hmm. So, Aina, apart from the new financing, Xi Jinping has also emphasized the science and technological cooperation, pledging to, you know, uh, increase the number of joint labs built with the uh, BRI partner countries to 100 in the next uh, five years. So China wants to share its technologies with other countries. So why do you think China is looking to do so? The, the greatest divide in wealth that is about to happen is going to be about intellectual property. Uh, the digital uh, revolution is 
upon us. And those who own the IP um, uh, will be uh, wealthy, and those who don't will, in essence, uh, be subservient to them. So China's idea is that if you really want to get rid of the disparities, if you want a better world, you actually have to share. And this is very, very different from approaches, especially by a Western corporate uh, side, where they say, you know, if I develop it or I can claim I develop it. Uh, I want to keep as much profit for myself as possible, regardless of the human consequences. And we saw that very clearly uh, with the situation with the during the pandemic, uh, when they came up with um, antivirals. Um, you know, the, the Western approach was pay me. Uh, the Chinese approach was let's share. Let's have uh, let's export our technology and factories to other countries so that you can produce it locally and deliver it to your people. And I think this is a very marked difference and one which is very attractive to a global south, which is tired of this kind of colonial era mentality that we know best and you have to buy from us. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, actually, let's look at the global impact of the BRI. According to the World Bank, the BRI has increased the trade in participating countries by over 4% and uh, increased the GDP flow of low-income countries by 3.4%. So how big an impact has the BRI had on the developing world? Right. So I think the data that you mentioned really uh, speak volume um, to the great economic benefits of the BRI. So again, essentially what BRI is trying to do is to promote a well-rounded, all-rounded connectivity. So you have the connectivity through uh, sea, through land, and through air. So with these great connectivity, then countries can really cooperate. They can trade, they can invest, um, they can have the technological uh, co cooperation. And also, in addition to all these physical connectivity, uh, other dimensions of BRI has to do with you know, institutional uh, connectivity and also in terms of policy coordination. So all of these are going to bear great economic fruits. Um, and you know, BRI is still relatively young, it's still 10 years, and a lot of these projects are just being completed. And going forward, I think all these uh, projects that have already completed, we continue to generate economic benefits. So there are a lot of examples like this, right? So we talked about, um, you know, the the Eurasian kind of cross Eurasian uh, free um, train uh, freight. Uh, and we talked about, you know, this mega port that is being built uh, in Peru. We're talking about all these regional high speed rails. So all of these are going to facilitate economic activities and connectivities and also um, coordinations. So all of these, I think, will produce what economists would call, you know, economies of scale also help to mobilize resources, create jobs. Um, right now, you know, the, the BRI has created about 400,000 jobs, but I think those are just direct job creations. You definitely have a lot more multiplying effects, meaning there are more jobs that are going to be created um, through this initial round of um, job creation and income creation. So like I mentioned um, earlier that, you know, the, the World Bank also admits that, you know, by 2030, the, the BRI is going to lift 7.6 million people out of abject poverty, extreme poverty, mm -hmm. and another 32 million out of um, uh, moderate poverty. So I think, you know, behind all these economic numbers really show that um, people's livelihood uh, is improving. Uh, and then these countries' growth prospect is improving. So like what Anna was saying, um, that it's not just about these 
um, you know, benefits that we're seeing right now, but also the great potential to um, have technological innovations to have more productively driven growth down the road. Mm. So I know you earlier mentioned the global south, and we know that we are living in a world that is changing right now, and uh, we hear more and more often of the emergence of the uh, global south. So what's your view on how the BRI has contributed to the advancement of developing countries and the emerging economies in a different model? Well, quite frankly, there was no alternative. You know, you go back 10 years ago, who was willing to put anything towards developing countries? There was a lot of lip service, a lot of talk about, you know, in the in the near future, we will do great things. But there was actually no money being uh, put out there. Uh, when China started out, uh, the naysayers were saying, well, how can one country that's still, you know, com coming forward, how can they shoulder this burden? This is just, you know, uh, <laughs> this is slogans. This will never amount to anything. Well, 10 years later, you know, as I said, you have 150 countries, which is three quarters of the world saying this is important. Um, it has been the only way forward for so many countries who are tired of being told uh, every time they ask for aid um, that they should be, uh, you know, doing running their countries in certain ways, that the decisions for their people should be made in other capitals. And this it hasn't worked. Uh, China's system has. It's uh, as we see, and you know, as Yang has said, um, this has had real results. And I, I predict going forward, instead of being additive, you're going to see uh, a multiplier effect because, you know, what she outlined was this kind of. Um, he, he said, "Look, we have this the broad blueprint out there." And the blueprint is for an economic engine that is going to power, especially developing nations. And right now, he's, he talked about the fact that there are still parts that need to be put in. But really, the biggest thing that was uh, mentioned was the small but beautiful filling in this, you know, broad uh, area that needs a lot of small and medium-sized business entities because throughout the world. Those are the real economic engines. And whether you're talking about the United States or China or Europe, it's small, medium-sized business entities that create jobs, that create the uh, flexible solutions that go forward. They're really the wellspring of everything that uh, matters in a, um, you know, in a, a any kind of uh, a system that relies on the market. So uh, China is pushing forward towards this and that's what the small and beautiful part is so when that starts kicking in when the engine is actually working uh, you're going to start to see um, as i said a multiplier effect in terms of not only jobs but lifting people out of poverty i think the uh, the world bank is very conservative i think you're going to see a lot more in the next 10 years than people expect mm. and yeah so when it comes to the level of uh, investment when it comes to the you know job creation how much of an impact has the bri you know had over the past 10 years Right. So I think we mentioned some of the data that I think really speak, uh, you know, really show the evidence of the BRI's um, benefits. So when it comes to income creation, as you just mentioned, um, it adds, you know, um, three, four percent of GDP uh, to some of the participating countries, especially low income countries. Um, those are really sort of the low hanging fruit, right? Like in Chinese, we say, uh, if you want to get rich, you 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 uh, build the roads. So for a lot of the countries, um, you know, they have a lot of resources, but they are not mobilized because they have the gigantic you know infrastructure deficit. 
um, Ethiopia, for example, you know, one third of the roads are not paved. Uh, people don't have access to those transportation. So when you build infrastructure, then definitely would help to mobilize resources and, you know, uh, m motivate some economic activities. Um, and we talked about, you know, poverty uh, elevation. Uh, so the estimate again is about 40 million people will be lifted out of different levels of poverty. And I agree with Ina. I think, you know, when we think about in the long term, a lot of these con connectivities is going to create a, you know, larger economies of scale. Um, and that would definitely further um, increase their economic potential. But again, I wanted to emphasize it's not just the growth rates, but really the, the quality of growth. I think that is also super important, um, which is what I know is also mentioning about, you know, this technological sharing, this technological advancements, um, because, you know, just because the countries are growing fast uh, does not necessarily mean the growth is benefiting uh, the people or it's on a long term sustainable basis. That's why I think China is really shifting or uh, uh, um, uh, emphasizing for the next 10 years, the green development. Um, and also the uh, high tech development, um, those are really are going to be the driving force um, for the next 10 years or more. Um, but again, so I think I agree with what Aina was saying, which is this is really the, 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 the alternative to the Western led um, kind of growth model, right? Where countries don't have their agency, countries are asked to uh, implement, you know, structural adjustment reforms as the IMF or the World Bank demanded. Um, here, the BRI is principled on, you know, uh, extensive consultation, joint contribution and shared benefits. And so I think that is really what drive um, countries um, and galvanize them to be part of the BRI and going forward. Mm. Well, we're speaking with Yan Liang, Professor of Economics, Willamette University, and also Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute. And after a short break, we'll take a look at China's cloud computing industry. Stay with us. D-Dive, a podcast of CGT Radio. We go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. Welcome. I'm Ilaf Elard. Economics professor and member of the Data Science and AI Center at New York University, Shanghai. On the World Today program, you can find in-depth and impartial insight, as well as critical commentary on key trends in the Chinese economy, financial technology, business and blockchain. To prepare for the world tomorrow, join me on World Today. You're listening to Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Recent industry report highlights China's advances in the information technology field this year, especially in the cloud computing industry. Official data shows that in the first half of this year, the value of China's cloud computing market exceeded 36 billion US dollars, up more than 40% year on year. China's major telecommunications and internet companies have increased their investment in the industry. The revenue of cloud-related business of the country's three major telecom operators reached 114 billion yuan. Meanwhile, China's technology and internet firms are also expanding their business overseas, including in Southeast Asia. So, Yan, first of all, tell us more about this uh, cloud computing. What can it do to change people's work and life, and how important is this industry? 
Right. So to put it simply, um, the so-called cloud computing is basically the delivery of information technology services over the Internet. And these services include, for example, um, servers, storage, databases, networking, software, analytics and intelligence. Um, and there are many, you know, uh, common uses of cloud computing, uh, like we store files um, on, you know, the cloud. Um, I personally use, for example, Google Drive. Um, and there are, you know, big data analytics that are uh, being commonly used, um, data backups, disastrous recovery, software testing and development, um, also infrastructure as a service and platform as a service. So we are now talking to each other. Uh, even though we are thousands of miles apart, and so we're using this platform um, called Skype, right? So this is part of the cloud computing uh, system, um, and we're also using you know, communications, social networking. So all of these um, are under the umbrella of the so-called cloud computing. So as you can see, it's super important. It's completely, I think, um, ingrained in our daily lives, um, be it work or leisure. Um, it helps to improve our productivity, it saves money, it saves cost, uh, it helps to enhance efficiency, speed, uh, security, and also performance. So um, this is a very important uh, industry. Um, and as you mentioned, you know, China is making great progress in the investments and also in development in this industry. Mm. So Aina, how do you describe this technology and what's its main applications? Well, exactly as Yang has said. I mean, this is uh, a game changer, uh, and the reason is is that it drives costs down. Uh, when you start uh, thinking of uh, ChatGPT and what it can do as a tool, okay, it's not taking over the world, mm -hmm. but as a tool uh, to uh, do a lot of the kind of repetitive things and to do it much more efficiently, it can be a, a huge advantage uh, to, to uh, entities out there, uh, to, to people out there. It's going to displace people. People are going to have to find other things to do and things like this. But, you know, the idea of being having your phone and having it in essence be a supercomputer because you can ask it to do a very complex thing. It's not going to do it on the phone. It's going to go into the cloud and it'll use whatever resources are necessary or you're willing to pay for uh, to solve uh, your question or to do the analysis that you want. Um, and that's incredible because right now, you know, everything depends on how smart is my phone, how big is, you know, how, how many nanometers is my chip and how efficient it is. In the future, you may not be looking at a, a, the same kind of structure. Your phone might be more about rendering uh, graphics and things like this, whereas the serious computing and also, as Yang said, you know, all my files will be in the cloud and I'll be able to access them, whether I'm on my phone or my uh, a bigger screen, my computer, my laptop, whatever. Um, it will be a lot easier. But this also drives down the cost of all of this stuff. Mm. And that is going to be a huge issue in terms of driving. Mm. So yeah, in the first half of this year, the value of China's cloud computing market exceeded 36 billion US dollars. So what do you think is the market potential in the near future? Yeah, the potential is huge. Um, so I think according to some of the estimates, um, this market is going to surpass $83 billion by the end of this year. So you're looking at only half year, which is about $35 billion or $36. Um, but by the end of this year, this is going to be a $84 billion 
uh, dollar market. So you can see how fast um, this value is, is increasing. And if you look at globally, the market size is even more mind boggling. So um, the market right now at, as of 2023 is expected to be $495 billion. Uh, and it's expected to grow um, to $947 billion by 2027. What that means is that, you know, China, among, uh, along with other, you know, um, countries like the United States, Japan, uh, South Korea, Singapore, are going to be able to develop this market to a much bigger one. Mm -hmm. And so there's a lot of potential um, to develop these markets. And also we're thinking not just this market per se, but like what I know saying, you know, once you have a very good cloud computing infrastructure, this is going to provide really, uh, you know, great ID services to enterprises, to individuals. And that would definitely help to, you know, improve productivity and create even more economic gains. Mm. So, Aina, so what's the global landscape of the cloud computing industry? Is there fierce competition? And what does the advancement of the uh, cloud computing mean for the AI development? Well, I mean, it's a two big question. So first off, um, things are are not going as planned. Uh, I mean, the idea of a, the uh, you know a super highway that's available around the world is is disappearing. Uh, countries are um, adopting this sovereign internet idea that you're responsible for what is generated in your country and also what is coming into your country because there are dangers that are associated with all of these advancements. Uh, they're tools they can. Use used in good ways and bad. So you have a situation where uh, countries are shutting down. The U.S. in particular is uh, trying to um, say, look, we're not going to allow any of our data to be processed anywhere. Uh, China's following suit. So it's uh, Europe. There are um, all sorts of conditions and different ideas about it. But what is necessary if we're going to see a truly global effort is for these countries to sit down and develop standards. Once they have those standards, they can adhere to them. Uh, yes, there are going to be sensitive issues. There are going to be privacy issues. Uh, obviously, um, people need, stakeholders need to be uh, involved. But at the end of the day, if you have this patchwork, you're going to actually decrease the impact of uh, cloud computing versus a, a global uh, understanding of it and a set of rules. So as we go forward, you know, right now, you know, generative AI, for example, uh, over 21 percent uh, increase in, in terms of investments this year uh, and even larger increases anticipated in 24 and 25. Um, you can guarantee that even uh, on a restricted basis, that global cloud computing will triple. And that's being driven by the fact that it can deliver uh, efficiencies, that every uh, dollar that's put into it is going to yield more dollars out uh, than in, in terms of profits and also lower costs that are going to consumers. Mm. Well, we're speaking with Aina Tengen, Senior Fellow at the Taihe Institute and also Yan Liang, Professor of Economics, Willamette University. And that's all the time we have for this edition of Biz Today. I'm Zhao Yang in Beijing. Thank you so much for listening.